6.30 Chad Afternoons with Jalen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 6.30 Chad. The next topic we're going to talk about, well, it cost a lot of cash, about $10 billion. NASA's next generation James Webb Space Telescope has reached its parking spot in space, and now mission engineers will tweak and test the telescope over the next five months in order to get the spacecraft ready for its lifelong mission of observing the universe. Now, the Webb Telescope is the most complex scientific spacecraft ever launched, its capabilities far exceeding those of the Hubble Telescope. Our next guest has spent his career documenting every phase of the Webb and Hubble telescopes. Dr. Robert Smith is an author. Uh, His first book on large-scale science called The Space Telescope, A Study of NASA Science, Technology, and Politics, considered to be a groundbreaking contribution to space history and a New York Times notable book of 1989. He's a space historian at the University of Alberta. Dr. Smith, welcome to the show. Good afternoon. It is lovely to have you. How excited are you to see what has happened uh, in less well in 25 days from the launch of the Webb Space Telescope to it finding its parking spot up there in space? Well, things have gone remarkably smoothly. <laughs> Before the launch, there was the expectation that the first two weeks when the telescope would be unfolding because it was just too big to be put into a spacecraft as is. It has to be folded up and then unfolded. So those first two weeks, bits of the spacecraft had to be deployed, bits of the telescope had to be unfolded. And that was expected to be what was called two weeks of terror, but it wasn't. (laughs) And it went really very, very smoothly. And the, as you said, the parking spot that it's now found Um, that has also gone very smoothly. So at this stage, things are looking extremely good for the telescope. You have have described this, um, uh, this new telescope and what's happened, the launch, as the biggest gamble in the history of space science. Why is that? Well, there are 344 single point failures aboard the telescope, which mean if If one of those goes wrong, then you have a very serious problem, perhaps even a mission-ending problem. And so, obviously, the engineers and the scientists involved really worked hard at trying to figure out what might go wrong with this telescope, what kind of tests can we do on the ground to make sure that doesn't happen. But there's always that element of risk. And with such a big, complex instrument, as the Webb telescope, which you cannot go and repair (laughs) because it's going to be sent, well, it's now at uh, a distance of 1.5 million kilometers away from the Earth, and there are going to be no astronauts to go wield a screwdriver if there's something wrong with it. It it means that it is hardly risk-free. Dr. Smith, what you have been following the development of uh, of the tele- of the Webb Telescope. You've been documenting uh, the Hubble Telescope as well for for decades now. What is it for you that captivated? What was it that grabbed your attention and said, "You know what? I I need to make this a part of my career." It's really, I think, the scale of the efforts and what goes into making sure something like the Hubble or the Webb 
ends up with a functioning telescope and how you make that move from what you might call the drawing board or a plan inside somebody's head to a functioning spacecraft working in the case of Hubble in orbit or off beyond the moon in the, in the case of Webb. And so these are vast projects, international projects, and it's worth mentioning that Webb has a major Canadian yes. contribution, in fact. Um, and so there are 14 countries involved with Webb. Uh, <laughs> and so, uh, and there are 41 astronomers, or astronomers from 41 different countries already lined up to make observations with the telescope. They know they're going to be making observations with it. They've been given time to use the telescope. So I, I find that level of complexity plus you also have a mix of politics, technology, science mixed in because, for example, with Webb, there was a moment in uh, 2011 when the telescope was actually cancelled by a committee in the U.S. Congress. And so it had to come back from the dead, as it mm. were, in order to, to get to the state where it is now. So it's really that complex set of interrelationships that go beyond what you might think of normally with science. And, and how but, fascinating it must be for you to have, um, you know, a front row seat to it all, because over the years you have, you have talked to all the key players. You've been at project meetings with the astronomers and the engineers. You've seen the planning documents. Uh, that, that's, that's, pretty, that's pretty amazing. Yes, and um, it's also given me a sense of working on a project where nobody knows if it will really work. <laughs> you know, it's not, and the norm, normally historians come in 50, 100 years, a thousand years later, and you know what the story is. But with something like this ongoing effort to build, say, the Hubble Space Telescope or the Webb Telescope, you don't know how the story is going to end. And so you're getting a different sense of what is going on, what people are worried about, um, and it, it is different to dealing, as my, I sometimes and my colleagues, de you're dealing largely with dead people. <laughs> here, here you have lots of very live people, and so the advantage is you can ask them what's going on. So, Dr. Smith, I mean, when you compare... Uh, web to Hubble from from what I have read uh, the Hubble can see the light that's visible to human eye but the web sees infrared light so you can so it's able to see ancient light from billions of years ago it doesn't go far back to light like as far back as Big Bang but to the first galaxies formed what is that going to allow scientists astronomers to to research and find out Yes, that's, that's a really important point because the light that is coming from the very first stars and galaxies has not really been analyzed. We haven't really seen the very first stars and galaxies before. And so one of the key goals for Webb is to actually make those observations. But the light that is emitted from those objects early in their history may be blue light, say, but in the journey to us through space, it will be redshifted. So by the time that light arrives at the mirror of the James Webb Space Telescope, it would have been traveling for about 13.5 billion years. Wow. But it will also have been shifted to the red end of the spectrum beyond that into the infrared. So if you're going to 
observe these objects very early in the history of the universe, you have to be able to observe them in the infrared. And so that's why this is such a big jump um, compared to Hubble, which was itself a big jump over what had been done before. <laughs> but now there is a telescope specifically designed to work in the infrared, and one of its key missions is to observe these very first stars and galaxies. It's, it's hard to wrap uh, uh, my mind <laughs> around the... Uh, the magnitude of this, when you talk about observing light from that many million, billion years ago, I think uh, a lot of us are just like, why, right? Like, what is going on here? And it was interesting. I was, uh, you know, listening to an interview from uh, an astronomer with the National Research Council, uh, Canada's Herzberg Astronomy and Astrophysics Research yep. Center. His name's uh, Chris Willett. He said, I can't even predict the things we're going to discover just within the first year. There are so many new things we're going to discover. And I'm not going to ask you what it is that we're going to discover because that's all about the discovery. But that's that to me is exciting it gives me goosebumps and so i'm sure for someone like you who's been along for this ride must do the very same yes because if you look at the history of telescope building whenever a new really powerful telescope comes into being that can do things that other telescopes could not do previously there have followed important discoveries and so sometimes people talk about the conscious expectation of the unexpected in that <laughs> you don't know what you're going to find but you sure <laughs> expect to find a lot of new stuff <laughs> um can you even go ahead a few months now five months from now six months from now when that, that when the first data the first photos start coming back uh, what do you think that's going to be like it's going to be tremendously exciting i think for the astronomers there's going to be this period where we have to wait for a few months because the telescope has to be tweaked. Mm -hmm. There is the mirror system on the telescope. There are 18 mirror segments, and they all have to combine together perfectly so that you get a, the effect of a single very large mirror. So that is why we have this kind of waiting period. You've got, you've got to basically do these tweaks to the telescope to make sure everything is really functioning as well as possible. But it's going to be tremendously exciting, I think, because you, you don't quite know what you're going to be looking at. I can't wait to have that have another conversation with you at that time, Dr. Smith. I hope you'll be able to make some time for us then. Uh, by the way, when's your next book coming out? I'm going to be uh, hopefully publishing that in um, uh, 2023, so the end of next year, I hope. And it's a history of uh, the James uh, Webb Space Telescope. Dr. Smith, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Great pleasure. Thank you. Take care, Dr. Robert Smith, who has spent his career documenting every phase of the Webb and Hubble telescopes. I can't even wrap my brain around it.